Greetings, and uh, thanks to you all for listening to Core World News. Before we get into our regular podcast, we wanted to make a quick statement. Our focus in this audio entertainment space is almost always on the galaxy far, far away, seeking joy and respite from the burdens of our individual reality. But this week, we would be remiss to ignore our home world of Earth and the great challenge that our black brothers and sisters have been facing for over 500 years. We'd like to take a minute to explain to you, our listeners, exactly where we stand on this matter. The history of fighting against racism in America is long and littered with the bodies of more heroes and victims than I could possibly name. Since the atrocity of the African slave trade, people in power have tried to subjugate black people, but with great courage, freedom fighters stood up against that tyranny and fought back and won. We've seen this numerous times, and in most cases, it cost them their lives by assassination. In the past three years specifically, under the rule of an openly racist and authoritarian president, we've watched as a racist segment of our nation's police have murdered innocent blacks without recourse at a breathtaking rate. But this week, the American people have impressed and inspired me once again. America said no more. All 50 states and 18 foreign countries of all color and creed took to the streets in the largest peaceful protest in history. These freedom fighters honor the lives of those given in the past 500 years for the cause of justice for all black people. All lives do not matter until black lives matter. It is time for the systematic racism in America and all over the world to end, to not be tolerated in the slightest, as has been the air of our ways in the past. I believe we can end racism now. Together we are powerful, and since we are together now, let's stay vigilant. To black people all across the world, please know unequivocally that at Core World News, we are your allies. We see you, we hear you, and we will stand with you, always. So that is what we wanted to stay and in, in no uncertain terms um, for you all. But I just wanted to open up the floor a little bit for Grant and Adam uh, to speak a little bit on the context of this and uh, and add their thoughts. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll add to that. And, and again, being an ally right now is not about I. It's about the black community right now and keeping the focus there. And I just want to say that this movement is the most important call to action of our lifetime. It's impossible to stress this enough. The black community, our brothers and sisters, don't feel safe around law enforcement. The public servants meant to defend us all, and that is unacceptable. This is only one aspect of systemic racial injustice in our society. We need to change gears fast, vote, pass legislation, dismantle antiquated systems, and alter the optics in every precinct, political branch, and corporate boardroom to better reflect the America we live in. This is our fight now. It's our responsibility to not only condemn racism at every turn, but double down and spare no expense to fix our failing institutions and do more than the minimal actions taken by our past leaders. I will be linking to donation sites and GoFundMes in our episode description. Money and votes are going to be our starting point. But we also want to invite black voices onto our podcast. Uh, if you're a black artist or a creator, send us your work. We'll promote it. Uh, lifting black voices is essential right now. Uh, you know, this is... This is the movement that counts. This is the movement that matters. And let's sustain it at all cost. Very well said. Yeah. Here, here. Um, I, I'm not going to add anything because I think everything said really um, expresses how I feel in this moment and how I felt for a long time. Um, I just said I wasn't going to add anything. But one thing I will add um, is that I want to really echo the importance of voting and the importance of that interaction up and down ballot. Yes, we need to get rid of the president, but we need to get rid of racists and supremacists at every level of government. 
policing, and I speak from this from my professional standpoint uh, as an educator, policing is a political system. Certain areas you may vote for your sheriff, other areas you may not. But if you don't vote directly for your sheriff, you vote for the person who puts that sheriff in place. Research, research, research who you're voting for. Very well said. Um, and it's important to note, I mean, we're obviously in America and this is on our doorstep. Um, I was so impressed internationally how this affected so many other countries in the world. And it shows, despite having a rash of you know, nationalism across the world, we're still very much um, one globe um, and aligned on this. Um, so it starts here. Um, we're going to fight through this all the way. Um, but thanks to all our international listeners as well. Um, I hope you take this to heart. Um, and yeah, this is something we feel strongly about, something we've, we talk about in every podcast, but usually we don't want to go down a politics hole because this is an entertainment space. But um, it's very important to us that you know where we stand on this issue. So we wanted to take this quick moment. Excellent uh, points, both of you. Um, and thanks very much uh, for that. And thanks very much for listening. Um, and now we're going to uh, pull Grex off the uh, front lines of the protest here uh, to get us started on our episode for today. Commence primary ignition. This is Star Wars. Look out! World is... You may fire when ready. From the bright center of the galaxy, I'm Grex Combat, and you're listening to Core World News, your whole news show for in-depth coverage and analysis for the latest stories around the galaxy. Now for your new segment rundown for June 4th, 2020. Pillars of Star Wars. But first... Every generation has a legend. John Boyega arrived at London's Hyde Park to speak truth to power. Now for your host, Ben Grant Adam, to talk about a real hero. Thank you very much, Grex. Uh, and thank you again to all of our listeners. Um, so, wow. We got a real Star Wars hero in real life. Um, and not surprisingly, it's John Boyega. Um, How do you guys uh, feel about this? Um, him in Hyde Park. I mean, probably overly positive, but... Uh, were you yeah. surprised that uh, that John Boyega decided to speak out? Um, I've been, you know, he, I, I somewhat run the Instagram, meaning that like everyone sends me the photos and I, I hit the post button. So I guess that means I run Instagram. <laughs> right. But uh, you know, I follow him and I and I see him quite a bit. So so knowing his past and he's a very, um, he speaks his mind and he speaks out and he uses the platform. So I wasn't super surprised by this. Um, I have a. I have, a, I have like a, a real world reaction and a Star Wars reaction. And the real world reaction is amazing. And I just wanted to be there at that moment and raise my fist in the air. And it was just rousing, which kind of leads into the Star Wars thing, which is why was that man not given yeah. a speech scene in Rise of Skywalker? I love the fact that it made him general. And I love the fact that he had that leading role. But like seeing that, I'm like, what a wasted opportunity a, just from an amazing acting standpoint, but also just from representation. Anyway, so everything kind of leads into itself. That's my reaction. Yeah, I, I mean, I, uh, sorry, quickly, um, Grant. I, I looked at, I look at this, and and I'm I'm the biggest Disney, not apologist, but the Disney support system where I love to play devil's advocate. You know, they, everyone has different ideas about what they could have done, and I, you know, usually I always come back to well. They had a lot of ideas and there was, you know, it, a director has a million things to think about and not everyone can have these great speeches. Um, and I, you know, admittedly w was not like, well, you know, Finn needs to be a, a bigger character, though I, I would have, you know, wanted to see more of him. Yeah. Um, but this really 
proved me wrong. Like I, after seeing this and, and really knowing more about him as a person, um, it, and really looking more into the context as we're going to get into this in pillars of star Wars, we're going to talk about government and politics and trade and economics. Um, he, there really hasn't been one of these civil rights moments in, um, in star Wars. And, there was an opportunity there. It would have really resonated with uh, John Boyega in that place, and I feel like you know they they had a lot there that they could have that they could have done more with. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with you guys as this that being a, a missed opportunity. Uh, you know, he's a, a black stormtrooper leaving a white-clad regime of oppression. Like, right. if anything mirrors, you know, some the, the civil rights movement in America, it's that action, and I think. Putting pieces of Martin Luther King in that character, putting pieces of Malcolm X in that character, putting James Baldwin in that character, doing all this stuff to represent some of the most admirable resistances we've seen in our history would have been really beautiful. And for the platform of Star Wars would have been a really beautiful message to send to the globe and to the world. And I feel like, yeah, total missed opportunity. And, you know, I was a guy who on podcasts in the past, you know, I'm a screenwriter sitting on the sidelines watching the sequel trilogy get made. And I'm seeing characters like Finn and Rose. And I'm wondering, you know, I, I feel like with the screen time you have in the sequel trilogy, you could have made them, you know, these Jedi adepts by the end of the, the, the trilogy and really made it, you know, really followed the through line to the Jedi. And the one thing they did get right, which was inclusion and have this diverse cast of Jedi by the, end, by the end of the film. But again, the sequel trilogy really only empowered two characters, and they, they happen to be white characters. And I feel like that's another missed opportunity, in my opinion. I feel like you really could have done something interesting in, in, in empowered, you know, diverse characters that, you know, for a new generation of children who are watching this film, these films for the first time. That's another kind of missed opportunity that I've talked about in the past, but I've kind of shied away from it because I, I didn't know if it was the right place, the right time to talk about it. But I mean, I've, there, there's, there's so many ways. I think the platform of Star Wars is so powerful and it's so renowned. Yeah. Everyone around the world knows it. Like, it, it's, it, it's supposed to be political. People are like, yeah. oh, get politics out of Star Wars. It, no, no, no. It's supposed to send messages. It's supposed to change the world. Birthed out of politics, as we'll yeah. talk about in a moment. Um, yeah, to kind of think about that, I, I have two things after what you both said. First is, like, it's not too late. And so I hope that, you know, it's it's really amazing watching watching Lucasfilm and Disney's reaction to the John Boyega's by John Boyega. I've never misset his name ever. And now I can't say it right, of course. But um, they they are retweeting, standing by, supporting him, calling him hero. That's great. That 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 shows support that shows allyship. Next, and they've and they've used a lot of their money now to donations, which is awesome and great. The next step is to also put your creation where your money and your mouth is, right? So yes. Finn is still a character that's very much around and alive. Rose is still very much a character that's all around and alive in the galaxy. Yeah. Let's tell those stories. Let's tell more diverse stories. We've we've championed that on this podcast. Again, this is not me just trying to say like we were right, but like they, they're and they're starting to do some of that, right? We're starting to see more diverse storytellers being brought into that. So let's hope this is reflected on the screen. The other thing I'll say is I might want to actually step back from the Disney side of it because Disney also owns Marvel. And I think looking at Marvel, we can see a property that's doing a much better job, still not a perfect job, but a much better job with diversity and diverse stories. I mean, you can you can point to things like Black Panther, which I think is an amazing story on a number of levels and, and has probably the most dynamic storytelling and also the most dynamic, um, I would say, 
I'm actually going to use villain quotation marks because sometimes every time I watch that movie, I kind of vote for for Killgrave, Killmonger, <laughs> Killmonger yeah. in that movie. Yeah. But like, yeah. but so so yes, Disney does own Star Wars, but I think a lot of this might also fall on the shoulders of Lucasfilm. Lucasfilm, yeah. yeah. I sort of misspoke there. I mean, I, I, Disney has very little to do with Lucasfilm. No, Disney. Uh, can, well, I don't Disney think does. Though. Disney can work as Disney has work to do as well. I think both of them have work. That's all. I didn't want to say that's not I, Disney's fault, but I want because they also didn't push Lucasfilm, and they should have. Right. Yeah. I mean, we as a podcast were on top of this movement uh, pretty early on, and I, I didn't see a, a, a post from Star Wars or Lucasfilm till a couple days in. Yeah. Like it was. A delay. It was a lag that was Kai. And, you know, in those moments where the PR teams are jumping, fumbling around on Zoom, like every minute is like, an, you know, a day for us. Right. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's it's rough for us outside watching these things we look up to as this team is trying to get together a sort of message or, or figuring out an approach for how to respond. It's like, yeah, I think we got to get quicker with this stuff. And I mean, rest on your laurels. If you preach these messages in your films, like live by them and and speak right, speak out right away. You know, yeah. I feel like that's that was that was troublesome to see. Don't throw a a, you know, a, you know, an indirect reference to um, slave stories at the end of your movie. Don't hide a quick uh, kiss between two female characters in a cutaway scene. Yeah. Right. These are things that are are worthy of storytelling and right to be center stage. Right. Or empower white people only in these films. I mean, like, Broom Boy was white even, and he uses. I mean, like, I, I'm pretty sure they're. I'm pretty sure he's playing with a diverse group of kids. It could have been anyone else in that group that walked over to move that broom. Like anything, yeah, anything to just empower another race on screen would have been key in yeah. this sequel trilogy, and it just didn't happen. And it did, I didn't want to beat up Disney. I didn't want to beat up Lucasfilm. But it's like I, I have to call out this stuff at this point. I have to call this stuff out. Yeah, and I think you know. Like a lot of us, I, I would bet that Lucasfilm and Kathy Kennedy are looking in the mirror and being like, and J.J. Abrams yeah. are looking in the mirror and being like, we didn't do a good enough job on this. You know, we yeah. we should have yeah. we had a lot of opportunities and, and we made the wrong call. And I, I mean, I don't know. I'm guessing that that's it, giving them the, the benefit of the doubt. But it, yeah. you're right. It, it was the wrong call. Um, I mean, I, I would love to see uh, another series with um, with uh, Jana and and you know, in it, there could be Jenna could have her own Lando could have his own. Um, you know, we already, I've been, we've all been calling for, um, Finn to be, uh, you know, one of the, the top members of the Jedi order. And yeah, there could be some really important things there. Yeah. Uh, like putting, making a, uh, giving a person of color, the force is all I want to see at this point. That's all I want to see. That's all I want to see in live action at this point. I think the world is owed that by star from star Wars. Right. And I don't want this to be like a full racism diagnostic of every episode, but it's, I don't know. There was a great article by Polygon um, that they wrote about. Yeah. That's uh, by Robert Daniels. It was his debut article. It was called John Boyega is doing what star Wars wouldn't. Mm -hmm. Uh, We all read that. Our our thoughts. I basically share that with you guys. And then we we talked via text message for a while. And uh, we all kind of just vented on the, on, yeah. The direction of Disney, you know, Disney led Star Wars. And and we don't want to beat them up too much because because Star Wars does put out really great, beautiful, wondrous messages. I, I think I mean, they're they do well, but they could do better. I, right. I, again, I got to I got to keep pushing back against the Disney led. I mean, if you look at a natural progression based on every other storytelling past it in Star Wars, Star Wars has never been a diverse 
area. So, so again, you know, this is not this is not a pass to Disney. They dropped the ball. They could have they could have done it, but it's not like I I don't know if I don't know if if let me okay I don't want to start a fight, but I'm just gonna say it because this is clearly this is an episode that we're just kind of getting down to real business. I don't think if George Lucas held on the Star Wars and told the story, it would have been a story with a lot of a lot of people of color in it front forward. To be honest, like I'm not saying it would have been better or worse. I'm just saying I don't think he would have had a very people of color centric story, personally. That's fine. You well, must I mean, do what you think is right, of course. You can feel free to I'll, cut I'll, that I'll out, fight, I'll, no, no, I'll come up against that because, I, you know, I, he made Red Tails after Star Wars, and that yeah, was an all-black cast, true. and that was a beautiful film in, in, in exploring of diversity and, and, and exploring the perspective of war through, you know, the lens of, of people we don't normally get to yeah. see in these oh, films. And I feel like that was that very true. That was admirable. And I feel like um, I feel like if he did make another Star Wars, you would get your you would get a lot of uh, representation. I feel sure. like I feel like, yeah. And yeah, 100 percent. Yeah. And I, I mean, I was barely alive in the 70s and 80s. I was quite young, um, so I don't know the significance of all of it. But I mean, I do know that Carrie Fisher's very strong role was groundbreaking for the time. The fact that Lando was in it at all. I mean, I know they're half measures and it's not enough, but there there was signs there that they they could be you know yeah. uh they could be capable of more um well as... and i think i think we're kind of in agreement i feel like everything that's happened in star wars and to be frank in most popular culture or popular media have been half measures right yeah. because i feel like even when we break down the disney era there's as we talked about there's a lot of half measures they've done right they've they've yeah. they've done these half measures i think what we're kind of getting at is cool great fine enough with the half measures take a full step take yep. a full step yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mean, yeah, Rise of Skywalker, what you could argue was a movie of half measures. You know, I, that's my, you know, my only <laughs> regret for that is just I'm like, quoting you on that, Ben. Yeah. Grant's very happy right that, now. That's going to haunt me. <laughs> He's tenting his fingers for some I, reason in the I video. Mean, it, if you look at it from my nerd perspective, I'm like, well, that leaves me more to unpack later. And they just sort of hint about all these stuff. But when it comes to real narratives and real messages that you want to land and, and, be impactful you've got to spend the time uh to do it and there wasn't much of that there um i, I will i'll point out one of the highlights because we, we don't want to be just yes. all critical of this yeah. and uh, i'm going to quote actually from that uh, that polygon article which really voiced um this sort of history of star wars and its relation to race better than uh certainly i ever could um it's it's definitely a great read um but he he talks about um uh force awakens finn and it says um even so, Abrams might have been onto something. In The Force Awakens, Finn seizes his freedom from the First Order by escaping the clutches of Kylo Ren with Poe Dameron. He discovers an identity by discarding the white stormtrooper helmet that erased his skin color and dropped his slave name, FN-21187, to become Finn. When Han Solo, Chewbacca, and Finn capture Captain Phasma, Finn's former commanding officer and master, he taunts with the phrase, I'm in charge now, which expresses his embody of black uh, embodiment of black resistance. And, uh, I, I never looked that deep into it. I'm ashamed to say, and but there was something there. It started, you know, where it it could have been a thing, and then um, that narrative was essentially watered down in the next two movies, and 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 lost in this sort of meandering path of what was essentially a marginal character. They didn't they didn't focus enough on him. Um, yeah. I don't think. I mean, we see him in Force Awakens holding the lightsaber. That it's almost there. Like you almost got it right. Yeah, but I, it's I like, yeah. But the way he said it Force Awakens. What's that? Well, all of us went at once. I don't know who who went. Yeah, but, I don't uh, know. I'm waiting for you. <laughs> I said, 
I said the way he was set up in The Force Awakens, I could easily, you know, see an organic evolution to him becoming a Jedi by the third film. Or, like, at yeah. least becoming a Jedi adept. Like, just yeah. getting used to the Force, wielding a lightsaber, uh, and learning aside, uh, beside right. Rey or whatever. Instead, we got this coy sort of, like, does he have the Force? Right. But it's like, when it was like, well, that was cute, but how about we just land the plane there? Like, why don't we just make him a Jedi by the end? And, like, is, is it so wrong to have two, you know... Jedi adepts. That's what I was going to ask, right? Because I, I, I loved the fact that they made him force sensitive in The Force Awakens. And then I kind of didn't. Um, was he force sensitive in The Force Awakens? I mean, not, not in The Force Awakens. Oh, a little bit. A little bit. Skywalker. If you retcon, it makes sense. He is now because of Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But my point is, is like, uh, my question was, and you kind of already answered it, Ben, is it is it worse? that they made him force sensitive in the rise of Skywalker. Do you know what I mean? Because then I almost feel like, cause, cause now what I'm struggling with exactly what you said is like, Oh man, I, we lost such a good plot line that could have been told in that yeah. story. Like force wielding Finn. And like, cause you could have had two people learning that they're force sensitive, exactly. coming at it from very different perspectives, using it in different ways, like trying to figure out what it means, both fighting for justice. Like, Oh, uh, anyway, and a rewriting, spectacular not kind of like page Tico moment for Finn where like he, there's this, there's this pause in reality and he, he uses the force for something that is like a hinging, you know, element of the plot that like everything hinges yeah. on that moment. Like you could have had a really fun moment where he, is empowered it and also, uses his power. I could argue he does on the deck of that he uh, does. Star Destroyer. You know, I mean, he many times in that final scene, he uses the Force to turn the tide of the battle. Yeah, he does. Um, but, I, mean, but I was thinking again, more telekinesis but, than like yeah, and it, like yeah, right, right. A, a but, visible. So yeah, yeah. here's the other thing that would have opened up. So many people want to see Dark Ray, and we get three seconds of her. If you allow Finn to be force sensitive earlier yeah. and track set, you also allow Ray to become Dark Ray because you allow you you bring also it, allow yeah. you also allow Kylo to go full Sith. Yep, and be destroyed because then the the redemption story is Ray getting brought back by Finn before she goes too far. But we still get Dark Ray being yeah. like you get all you get everything. Plus Jedi Finn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. That's a that's a great version, Adam. I love that. I really, really love that take. So this is the way it ended up. We've got the movies gotta we you know, we got out of this. Yeah, but I mean, watch this them is, and love them. Indeed. And I I'm hopefully they, you know, did Lucasfilm has learned from this and we're gonna get better content coming forward. I, I think we I don't know. I'm hoping we're all looking at the same same picture here and seeing a, a lot of missed opportunities and a lot of uh, great opportunities for the future. But I don't I don't want to say I don't want to really push this conversation any longer than it is. But I do <laughs> love talking about this. Um, there is art um, from the Trevorrow script uh, where that there's that the sack not the the revolt on Coruscant and you yeah. basically get like Finn yeah. leading yeah. a revolution. Okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> on yeah, Coruscant. Yeah. I think it is to... beautiful imagery, yeah. and it's 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 exactly what this article you know is aiming to talk about. And I feel like uh, that would have been really impressive stuff. Like that that's that would have been. I I do love what we got in the Rise of Skywalker. I love his kind of his growth into understanding the Force and understanding this feeling. It feels very Luke Skywalker in A New Hope. Like it feels yeah. feels very like it's just the start of a journey. Um, but yeah for either give me full revolution or give me a Jedi fin. Like I, that I would have yeah. preferred that. It's not too late. 
It's not too late. Lucasfilm, you, you can still give us these stories or other better stories. Yeah. That I mean, if anything, diverse should, and inclusive. We should yeah. really fast track that um, episode 10, 11, 12 we've been pitching. Um, I think that yeah. would that would be a great start. I'm just saying. Yeah, um, sure. Take a listen if you haven't listened to that episode. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, Lucasfilm, hire three yeah. more white dudes to help write <laughs> your stories. <laughs> just put by the script. I don't know. Yeah, I know. Just just take it. Just frankly, just take it. Frankly, just take it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, just forget the data and write a story from the heart. Like that's all I could tell. You know, save to them at this point. It's just like yeah. don't don't try to please any sort of core audience you think is out there because they're probably just old white guys like who watched the original trilogy. Like forget about that. Like write something from the heart and don't care about you know. Uh, keeping that audience keeping your core happy in any way if the original star wars proves anything it's that a good movie wins out in the end yeah a long time ago in a galaxy far far away a great adventure took place all right uh welcome back this uh is our pillars of star wars series um, and specifically, this pillar is on government, politics, economics, and trade. Um, this is one of those, uh, you know, bundled up topics of things in Star Wars that exist. Um, and they're not necessarily overt, but they are there. And um, they're interesting. And, you know, this pillar series, we're really taking it from the perspective of a new writer, director, um, looking at a new story they're telling and they're like, OK, what are the things we need to add um, and what are these pillars that have to be in my movie? And no matter what Star Wars you make, um, there is going to be a need for government, politics, economics and trade to come into your story somehow. Um, so we're going to look at the precedents for that. Um, so why don't we start with government in the beginning? In the beginning, there was <laughs> well, so yeah. before the Republic. I think we know about a few early civilizations that were out there in the galaxy. And, and by we, we mean Grant. Hey, yeah. well, no, <laughs> the we Royal because we all play Jedi Fallen Order, and I think the Zepho are, are quite Oh, I know the Zepho. Civilization. Yeah, the yeah. Zepho. We don't know much about their government, though. Uh, uh, there are the Rakata, the Kilix. The, the Kilix are these kind of insectoid creatures. They're from the Legends books, but uh, they are on Alderaan. And they're on a few other worlds, and yeah. they're an ancient civilization of some kind. The Rakata from old, the Old Republic. So I just want to mention some of those ancient civilizations we just, before we yeah. jump into the Republic. Yeah, what's Rakata? up? Because I want uh, now I want pasta. <laughs> is, that, is that actually Rakata? All right. Pasta. 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 I want some pasta. I heard, some more, I heard, a, <laughs> yeah, heard an anchor on like the BBC say pasta, and it was pasta, but it was great. Um, yeah, the Rakata. Uh, the Zepho, the Kilix, there are some early civilizations uh, before the dawn of the Republic, and we don't know a lot about the founding of the Republic. Um, no, we yeah, we don't. There, there were the four sages of the Duarte, uh, Brada, Dantos, Feia, Rodemos, Sistros, Neville, and Yanjan Zelmar, and they were a group of contentious philosophers and lawgivers from the early days of the Galactic Republic who had great influence on its early constitution. Sounds very Greek to me. Um, yeah. Yeah, these sages seem to be like the cornerstone of the Republic. Uh, they were seen as this like this controversial, these controversial philosophers who who dabbled in the dark side. Um, 
it's really interesting. There's four of them. Uh, they're they're oftentimes like statues. They're they're gold. They're often depicted as these idols, these gold statues. They're in actually Palpatine's office in the prequels. You can see them as these statues. Turns they're not gold. They're not gold. Obviously, it's like it's Star Wars. Like so they're bronzium, like neranium, and bronzium. Yeah, and um, and they're kind of these like, sleek like maquettes that like kind of with these like curves and. And they kind of like represent the like the, the elegance and the architecture of like the Republic. Like that's kind of how I read them. They kind of like the design theory for the Republic. They're just how the statues look is kind of how the buildings look, how a lot of the stuff looks. Um, the Sith erected statues of the Duarte when they were at the height of their power. Um, Palpatine kept the statues in his office. Uh, they are depicted on Vice Chair Masamada's scepter, like that staff he holds. Like they're oh, they're on there yeah. too. Oh, wow. They're all over the place. Um, Snoke wears gold robes and a gold ring with Duarte inscriptions on them. Like that that kind of gold or the bronzium in, in Galaxy reference. Like that's that goes all the way back to the founding of the Republic. And also, it's very it's very much connected to the Sith and that kind of that rich bronzium. Uh, uh, color palette is, is very much connected to the dark side in, in a really eerie way. Yeah, hopefully. Right. So oh, you're you, you're gonna beat me to it, Ben. But go oh, for yeah. it. So, yeah, so close. I got go. you. I got you. You got to be quick. Um, the the new High Republic series. Hopefully, we'll get we'll get some more of that in there. It, though it has been delayed, I think uh, yeah. six months, unfortunately. Oh. But the High Republic book series is going to be fantastic. New content from an entirely new era. And, um, yeah, I mean, hopefully if we're going to get the High Republic, maybe we'll know how they got there. Well, and even the coloring scheme of the books, lots yeah. of gold, lots of silver in, in those books. So I kind of when you were describing that, Grant, that's my mind kept going back to the covers of those books. They look very connected to that color scheme. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be interesting to see if they dive into the, any of that. I, I imagine the High Republic is some like 20,000 years after the founding of the Republic and these. The, when these philosophers were around and whatnot, because I think in the Atlas of the Galaxy, that Jason Fry uh, yeah. Atlas, I think it, it, in somewhere in there he quotes that the Republic is twenty five thousand years old. Mm. Um, so I'm just rough. I'm roughing out a date there, of like maybe twenty thousand, twenty, you know, twenty odd thousand years ago. Um, that's probably when the philosophers were around. So it's interesting that the gold kept up all the way to the High Republic, which is only like four hundred years before the Phantom Menace, which is kind of. Interesting, but yeah, yeah, I, I that would be interesting. I would love for them to get into that that detail. But let's talk about the High Republic for a second. Like, wh what do we know? Like, they have previewed uh, the book series and talked about sort of the state of the galaxy. We know that there's the Starlight Station. We know that there's a lot of frontiersmanship going on. We know that a lot of the galaxy is unsettled. Like, there's a yeah. the, the cent there's the core worlds and the central government but then a lot of the jedi are kind of on starlight station station monitoring the galaxy and i guess voyaging out to the outer rim to settle disputes and yeah. keep the peace right that seems like what the high republic's all about yeah i just finished watching uh deadwood actually for the first time which is fantastic oh. but uh, I, I saw a lot of parallels there with um mandalorian and then high republic because we know that it is i mean it's it's a it's about frontiersmanship you know yeah. it's it's about Going to areas and then building your own, it's sort of lawlessness when you're out there. It's until you become, you know, an official state or an official planet and, you know, part of this republic, um, there you're either subject to the laws of the people that lived there before you um, or you are with no laws at all. And um, it's, that's a really fascinating aspect. I mean, the, the lack of law and government, um, I think, is 
permeates through Star Wars and uh, and is fun. Yeah, fun to think about. And also, Ben, I think you mentioned Rome earlier. There's a bit of that, right? The expansion of the empires. They don't mm-hmm. call them. They don't call themselves the empire. It's the republic. But there is an expansionary feeling right. to this a little bit. Yeah. Which is sort of interesting because the one empire that's called the empire actually isn't really. It's just about ruling everybody, but there was really no expansion. It was like they destroyed a planet and then ruled everything, you know? Yeah, they wanted to hold on to what they had. Exactly. Iron grip over what they had. Yeah. Right. But yeah, standard empire is usually about expansion. If you're thinking about like Ottoman, Roman, Japanese, um, those sort of empires. Yeah, as much as we talk about, you know, empires and, and democracy and republics and things like that, like I do feel like at the end of the day, Star Wars is meant to represent kind of like abstract feudalism, like Japan or medieval Europe. Like I yeah. feel like what how that world works best is if there's territories and there's disputes about territory, there's territorial disputes and there's warring factions all over the place. And your planet is basically your region, you know, of medieval Europe or medieval or, you know, feudal yeah. Japan. Yeah. Yeah. They could also do it with sort of like core worlds, mid worlds, um, and then outer rim, you know, there is definitely some prejudice against the outer rim places, even in, you know, the sequel trilogy. Um, but, but yeah, it's sort of interesting. Um, I like how we're going chronologically through this. Should we just let it ride? Rather yeah, let's, than yeah, yeah, let's do it. I like chronologically. Um, we can do this. So after the High Republic, we come to the prequels and the films. And yeah. uh, and I, I they're, they're in the comics, the most recent comic series. It's mainly just called the, the Age of the Republic, right? And I, I, don't, yeah. I think it's called the Grand Republic a couple times in Clone Wars when they talk mm-hmm. about who the clones serve. So I would label this the Grand, I would label this the Grand Republic. That's kind of what I would label yeah. 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 Right. I think yeah, it's the, the Grand Army right. of the Republic is where yeah. they use that most. Yeah. But yeah. And then, no, you know, right. yeah. looking back, it's the Twilight of the Republic, right? I think it's important right. to, to understand yeah. why it starts to, de, you know, uh, deteriorate. Yeah. Um, yeah, we have the, we have the rise of uh, Sao Bibble. my favorite well so i think it's actually an interesting (laughs) it's my i'm waiting for the co bibble black figure series uh it's not a joke Um, no it's a hundred percent true i will buy that immediately um so you know what's interesting about this is we get more diversity and types of government in the storytelling at this point, because we tell the the macro story of the the Grand Republic, but then we also get little glimpses into the what's ruling within these smaller worlds. And a good example of this is the current book actually just came out two days ago, uh, Queen's Peril by E.K. Johnson. Yeah, you're yes. right. <laughs> now, I never trust myself when I don't have it in front of me, even though I knew it was E.K. Johnson. Um and this is the sequel to Queen Shadow. <laughs> yes. He says the question. Uh, yes. Yeah. So Queen's Peril, but it's a prequel, I guess. Or Well, anyway, so I'm about uh, 15% into this. And it, it starts right before uh, Padme is elected queen uh, on Naboo. And the process nerd to me was love in this part of this book because it all it went into the, gov- the ruling government of Naboo. And this is just something that's that's fascinating because the author comes up with something that's wholly unique as far as I know 
And first of all, Lucas created this world where you have monarchies, I guess not a monarchy technically, but queens that are elected. They're right. term they're term limited. They're limited to two terms, which right. is just this interesting thing. So it's de democracy, but with a with a leader, right? Yeah, it's a democratic monarchy, monarchy. which is kind of cool. It's interesting. It's different. Yeah, he was all like, about democratic monarchies and benevolent dictators yeah. and stuff like, like that. Here's the other interesting thing that they go into, and, I'm, and spoiler alert to anyone who hasn't read it. I'm not going to spoil the plot points. This is within like the first 10 pages of the book. Um, we find out why why, why it's Queen um, Amidala and not Queen Padme, and that's because queens are actually given a false name and separated from their family during all of their election and during their actually running of it. Oh, so wow. they're not seen as this connection to a personal or public life. They're allowed to rule without this connection. And I saw that. I said, oh, that's so interesting. And then I thought, wow, that's really probably problematic if you just allow a person to not have not have their past explored. <laughs> oh, well, to me, I mean, I mean, I think obviously there needs to be some sort of secret vetting there. But what, yeah. when you say that to me, I hear, well, we're not just going to elect some guy because his last name's Bush or Clinton or, yeah. you know, you know, just be on. You, be you're on. not going on name alone. You're going on merit. Yeah. Or used yeah. to say you're fired a lot. Um, yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah. But no, I think it's it's it was really interesting. And I think what I really appreciated from that storytelling standpoint is it wasn't a direct correlation to anything that I'm aware of. I'm sure, you know, we have ultimate diversity in this world. I'm sure this is something that has been present. I'm not an anthropologist, so I don't know, and I haven't seen it talked about, but it was something unique to talk about. It's just interesting that in this current era of Star Wars or in the era of the Grand Republic, there's this diversity. Because then you go to a place like Tatooine, which, as we already mentioned, is like the wild. There is no right. government. Yeah. yeah it's des despotism over there. Right, despotism. The Jabba. Right? The, the Jabba, the huts, right? The, it's hut space. Yeah, hut space, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, we have all these monarchies all over the galaxy. We'll probably get into monarchies more so when we talk about Alderaan later uh, in the time of the Empire. But um, right now, there's mainly just a ruling Senate in, in the central government of the galaxy. And it operates like uh, a Senate would. There are mm -hmm. elected officials uh, and they vote on, you know, legislation and things like that but um there's it's like a zero party system though which is interesting. yeah there's not really a party uh, later really on there is in post the empire there's there's parties but yeah uh, this is these are represented oh, right. yes in in, yeah. in this senate yeah right it's no yeah it's no party system there is a a, a um chancellor right which is yes. similar to like a prime minister or something like that so so it isn't really like our system right we don't have there it isn't it isn't three houses or, or two houses and one leader so it's interesting it is probably closest to the british system if we're looking at kind of the most anglo-saxon systems that are currently available without a uh, figurehead yeah it's got a chancellor it's got a vice chair and then representatives taking the floor uh and that's how they solve things democratically, essentially. And uh, so is Masa Meda the vice chair? He's the guy yes, with the yes. horns for the people yep. at home. He has yeah. a staff and the horns that go up and down. I forget the name of that species. He's a dead toady. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say he was a Togruta, but he's not. He's like something else. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, there's really not much to discuss in terms of the central government, but there are definitely like 
pirates. There are definitely crime factions out there. There's definitely, obviously, all the, the all every system has their own like ruling, you know, government of some kind. And there's all sorts of governments out there. I think in the Clone Wars, we meet so many different, you know, we go to so many different planets. We meet so many different, you know, leaders of these planets. And yeah. uh, every planet has a somewhat different system. But I do see a lot of monarchies. Like I do see a lot of. Yeah emperors or kings of, of a certain you know, right onderon is uh one i can think of yep. they definitely mm-hmm. I, I, I sort of think of them as like an incan society but that's mostly because of the architecture they have a lot of pyramids and stuff yeah. um yeah i guess the they Toydarians, could, i think were like a monarchy was that i in one of the early episodes of clone wars i think yeah they yeah. definitely do i remember the headdress yep. on yeah. the leader yep Right, a lot why. of headdresses. I think I think George just really wanted a bunch of throne room scenes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> lots of thrones. Lots of thrones. Some ornate which palaces. is cool, man. I'm trying to think. Uh, Ryloth, I think, was more democratic. Um, Geonosis, sort of hive leader, but that was more like, it's. I mean, they're they're more like insects. Yeah, like how insects organize. Right, they have a queen, but I guess that's a monarchy too, really. Can I make a Sorry. point that maybe is larger or get your thoughts on, and this maybe derail this, the, the whole conversation, but again, that's my speciality. What are um, I think if Star Wars teaches anything about government, and this is not my personal opinion necessarily, but it's that governments don't do well. Is it? Can we think of like good examples of government in Star Wars? <sighs> Man. Um I mean, I'm Nebu, thinking like early uh, Princess Amidala really cared about her people in a really yeah. beautiful way, and she was very much connected to them. And I think she was a caring leader. So I'm yeah, gonna say I'll give Nebu, you that. Nebu, he does. He, you're absolutely right. He does have a soft spot for Naboo, right? Lucas yeah. did probably think, which is again, you know, George Lucas has been quoted as before as thinking the best form of government is a benevolent dictatorship, which is, <laughs> which is, by the way, an oxymoron. And I really, what I think, knowing <laughs> yeah. Lucas and thinking back to that. I think he was being somewhat, you know, coy about that term because you can't you can't have a benevolent dictator. Um, but that's probably the closest one we've seen. Right. It's it's as we said, it's a it's a, it's a you know, a, a electoral monarchy it's, or or anyway, it's weird. Yeah. But um, yeah. But yeah, in terms of large government, right, like we see it as the downfall and that's been continued through not to jump into the sequel trilogy. We'll get there. But but we see I see a connection between the Grand Republic and the New Republic as it's as it's described in uh, the sequel trilogy. Right. Um, we also have non-governmental organizations in this prequel trilogy. Yeah. Obviously, you know, famously the taxation of trade routes by the Trade Federation. Um, and uh, most of the separatists, I mean, they secede from the Republic for financial reasons, which yeah. that's very similar to the Civil War. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's they the would other, that's they the would prominent. call it financial reasons, but you know, um, I don't know. Yeah, that's the other I, prominent form of government is corporatocracy. Like there are lots yeah. of corporate controlled worlds. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like like Malastar and Duro. Um, there's 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 so many. Uh, Mune. Uh, Mune. There's there's lots of those. Obviously, the Trade Federation represents that sort of corporatocracy that we see. Uh, which is which is but it feels somewhat restrained like a lot of sci-fi properties like go head in head on headlong into corporatocracies and like explore like you know hundreds of corporations it's kind of this like right. 
cliche is, at this point. Is Cato Nemoidia actually ruled by the Trade Federation, though, or is that just a, a large corporate ent- um, entity? I can't remember. I'm trying to think. I'll tell you in a second. But uh, I think actually Cato Nemoidia in. Um, Oh boy! It's the Poe Dameron in, in one of the books. Yeah, the Poe Dameron comic. Yeah, comic, and I think also one of the books with. No, because I saw this. Ill... Oh, no, I'm like, did I see this or did I read it and <laughs> saw it in my mind? Um, you know, it was the Poe Dameron. I got, I got the answer era. for you right now. The yeah. They're kind of like Switzerland. Corporate. It's corporate. So it's corporate. I, okay. It's there a corporate go. government. Um, I imagine that's the tech. That's the uh, trade federation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, by the way, another shout out to Queen's Peril. If you're if you're curious about the early formulation of the Trade Federation and their bills they put they put in the Senate, you get that. Yep. You get, <laughs> and, and you do get some uh, you get some sheave pal. Oh yeah, I, was, with, I, was, uh, I didn't want to spoil that. But meeting with uh, some other people. Palps makes a you makes some his, great uh, sheave. Ek Johnston crushes sheave. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm very excited. I am I'm loving this book. By the way, we'll talk about it at the end, but we will be covering it in more detail in a reading Rathar segment in the future. Yeah, two weeks from now, we'll, we'll yeah. jump on so that. Other we'll forms pull. of government that I'm seeing in this Atlas of Star Wars book is uh, on Dathomir, it's uh, labeled tribal government. Oh, that makes sense because you have the Night Sisters, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Narshada, it's labeled organized crime. I mean, right. Despotism, right. Despotism, yeah. yeah. Um, there is uh, uh, on Genosha. It's labeled hives. <laughs> yeah. It's like what is that a form of government? I, I guess. guess. I mean, everything yeah. is whatever runs your your institutions. Yeah. That's why, uh, by the way, not to be the <laughs> sorry guys, the sociologist in me is is trying to like just like let this go and not and not and not really get into it. But governments run institutions, and I have trouble saying that there are any institutions being run on some of these other. On these on these outlier country, uh, like like I don't think there's in Narshada, I don't think there's any institutions. There's no educational institution. There's no there's no actual government. There's no there's like so like that's not there's no government. It's a non it's a non government. Like it's just it's right. just a it's just an outpost or just a, anyway. So moving on, uh, there's I mean, interesting ones here too. There's like corporate plutocracies. Uh, there are meritocracies. There are elected meritocracies. There are like. There are a bunch of interesting governments out there in the galaxy. And I think that's what's endlessly fascinating about Star Wars. And I feel like I would love to see a show or a live action series dive into that and really explore different governments that were are unseen or we, we haven't really you know focused on before. And yeah. maybe how they can illuminate certain things in our world and how mm-hmm. we can do better. Yeah. Grant, what was that book you were leafing through there? Because that's a great one. Yeah, The Essential Atlas. It's, it's legend. It's not considered canon, but it's Star Wars Essential Atlas. Why yeah, are you wasting fun time? for this and, and you can dive into planets, and there's a gov- there's a label for government uh, for right. each planet. Uh, that's really cool. Camino, ruling council. Uh, can you is uh, what do they have under Z there? Because I, I, I think it's called the Zygerans, and they are slavers. We saw that in the Clone yeah, Wars. Yeah, I only have They're like uh, a I only have slaving. Z- I only have Zonama Sakat in this. Okay, because ah, Adam, Adam, Adam might know that. <laughs> Adam might know that world. <laughs> I have no idea. What is that? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, like why are you calling me? I don't, it's the elected mer- it's the elected meritocracy. Oh, it's another uh it's another uh Oh, an elected meritocracy? That's oh, so capitalism. Toydaria Toydaria is a feudal monarchy. Oh, so there's okay. like classifications for the the monarchies and whatnot. It's kind of interesting. Um uh Shada by Boron is a uh, theocracy, 
I just thought it was the Jedi, but I guess there's. <laughs> what's other... really let's let's pull this back for a second planets. because what's really interesting is that you have all these different types of governments, and the a lot of them belong to the the Republic, right? Which is odd. So it's as if I guess the closest equivalent we have in our country right now is if the United is the United Nations, right? The United Nations yeah. hold all these things. The interesting difference, and again, this is um I'll say this as someone who teaches a human rights course that looks at the UN is that the UN for the most part is non they can do resolutions, but most of their resolutions are non-binding, which is just a fancy way of saying there's no way really to enforce them. They just they bring light to what's going on, shine that light, and usually that light is enough to get things to change because everyone's looking at you and shaming you, but they don't really have any governmental strength to make change. So almost in the Star Wars galaxy during the Republic, it's as if you gave the UN that strength right because they are voting on on resolutions but also things that sounds like this and that also explains if you think about it into episode two when they're voting on whether or not to create a, a grand army of the republic that'd be the equivalent of actually the un creating an army which it doesn't have right it has peacekeeping forces which is different but it'd be really interesting to get to that point of like now thinking of that you can see why that's a big debate during episode two that'd be the un debating whether or not to actually have a standing army which would be a big deal well, we got to prepare. We got to prepare for the United World Order. Yeah. <laughs> is that a wrestling? Is that a conspiracy thing? I don't know. No, that's the Ben. You're thinking of the New World Order, which had oh, okay. uh, Hulk Hogan and then Rando Macho Man, uh, Macho Man <laughs> yeah. Savage. The only reason, by the way, the only reason I know this to shout out another podcast while we're on the podcast is I just have to say it is this. There's this Tony Paxton hosts Bizarre Albums, which is this amazing podcast. And literally this week, he covered the Randy Macho Man rap album from 2002. Wow. Just download that because, A, the story is amazing. I'm not even that huge of a wrestling fan, though I grew up in the 80s, so I did watch Randy Macho Man Savage and, and all that. But, like, the... The like the operatic relationship between yeah. the Macho Man Savage and Hulk Hogan in and outside of of wrestling is amazing, yeah. and the fact that like like the Macho Man created a rap album in two thousand two to call out Hulk Hogan, yeah, one up Hulk. and literally has like a entire rap about how Hulk Hogan is a I can't it's say a, or else explicit it's a diss track. This is this track. This is 2002. Both these men are like in their 60s and pointless at that point. It's amazing. Anyway, Listen, Adam, this is not becoming a wrestling podcast. I, just I don't want it to be. I don't even care about wrestling. But Bizarre Albums, Tony Thaxton, this week's episode on Macho Man. Download. It's amazing. I literally have no idea what I'm talking about or where I was. <laughs> I think we covered the Republic and all the different worlds and governments oh, that are out in the galaxy during the time of, of the, uh, the Republic era. Yeah, so yeah. I feel like we can move into the Empire. Yeah, if sure. You guys are ready. I'm ready. Let's do All it. All right. So the downfall of the Republic, the rise of the Empire, a lot changes. We now have a dictatorship. With regional um, governors. With regional governors. And the galaxy gets divided into like over sectors and priority sectors and subsectors. And they're, you know, grand moffs and these regional governors are put in charge of these certain sectors of the galaxy. It's uh, it's this authoritarian rule. It's this really dark, you know, you know, iron grip authoritarian rule, and it's illustrated in a really dark way, in a really, like, a realistic way. Like this is, it's stark. Like the, the galaxy is immediately taken over by this empire, and there are, you know, 
evil leaders sent out to, you know, protect their safeguard, the Emperor's pro- Empire's property all over the galaxy. It's pretty, pretty dark. Pretty dark. Pretty dark. I mean, which was the yeah. whole point of it, right? They had, you know, they, they needed to have the rebellion. I mean, this is called the Age of Rebellion in most circles around Lu- Lucasfilm. Um, and they needed to have something to rebel against and something that was instantly recognizable and as a threat. And they did a super job of that. Um, and nothing says authoritarianism like a planet-killing weapon. Um, yeah. to, and, and fear is what will keep the, you know, the, the sectors... Outlying of- systems in... In check, yeah. In check, yeah. In check. Yeah, and then this is, I mean, and before the uh, the kickoff of the first Galactic Civil War, we have some rebel cells. Like there, there's some early, you know, rebel right. like Sagarera and some some people doing that early groundwork to to fight back against the Empire. Yeah, and uh, and that's and then that kicks off the Great Civil War after that, and the, the Rebel Alliance is born, and um, there's. Lots of books accounting that stuff. Um, we see a lot of it in Rogue One. Like we see a little, like we see that it's already cobbled together. Like we do see that they already have bases and things like that. Yeah, and, um, yeah. It, well, I mean, that was an important demarcation they made in Rogue One, and then continued with um, the Rebels animated series, which is, I mean, they really only showed two. It was sort of the the rebellion. And the partisans and the partisans were sort of showing off what extremism is and and that fine line you have to you have to walk um, between being revolutionaries and being, you know, protesters and and leaders for change um, and and terrorists. You don't want to fall over the, you know, the edge into terrorism. Yeah. And the other thing I'll say is what I really appreciate about about this addition that Rogue One made and was, as you mentioned, been carried on in some of the other stuff is that um, when we first meet the rebellion in episode four, it's already full formed. And so we feel like maybe it just happened easily and naturally. Rebellions, revolutions, I'm speaking to the past, I'm speaking towards now do not form wholeheartedly. Usually it is groups figuring out space and negotiating space and figuring out what their messaging is and making compromises and making and including others and inclusive nature of just knowing that we are all going the same direction in a stream and trying to encourage each other to swim the same way, right? And I feel like that's really important storytelling that, that Star Wars got real right in Rogue One. But as Ben, as you mentioned, also realizing that we have to be clear about where our boundaries are with these things. Anyway. Right. And, and what sort of action you're taking. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Like everyone knows what the right thing is to do, but it's figuring out how to do it. And it's that, that, that time yeah. of collaboration. That's so interesting. It's yeah. fascinating to me. And to this moment now, there are people out, yeah. in, this, out in this world and us included well, taking the next steps to, to make real change. And it's, it's, uh, right now, we're all figuring it out, and that's the best we can do right now. Right. When you're in the middle it of it, it feels like chaos. When you look yeah. back on it, it looks like a natural evolution. Yep. Right. Uh, and then, yeah, and actually, uh, Barack Obama, uh, President Obama, last night spoke to this at, at length in his town hall. Um, and, yeah, it's sort of – it's you have different issues affect different areas. And so yep. it's this sort of revolution is going to look like different things in different places, you know, in different geographies. Um yeah, which is very much the case. I mean, they, I'm rewatching Rebels right now. It's fantastic. This rewatch has been just a joy. 
Yeah, and writing on that show is really special. Yeah, it's really. Cool. Oh, it's it's fantastic. It's so I, I underrated it so much. I just yeah. adore it. Um, but they, you know, they go to Ryloth, and there's sort of like Ryloth has its own revolutionary needs that are different from the, you know, um, the rebellion, and like so they're they're both attacking. They they need to affect change against their oppressors in different ways, and you know sometimes it's just symbolic. It's just like we just need a sign that's large that that says we are fighting back against oppression and doing some you know certain things and um and then the rebellions like well we're you know this is we we need tools because this is just a battle and we want to win the war um and uh yeah so they they sort of they they draw that out perfectly and then of course you've got uh mandalore um i've just got into the mandalore section where um sabine Mm -hmm. is taking up the dark saber and um trying to win back her her you know, planet, um, and her people, like it's really two planets, um, uh, from the, the clutches of the, the empire, um, which is, you know, really sunk its teeth into that, that planet completely. And, um, they're, I mean, they're kind of interesting. They're like riders of Rohan. They're like, they're mm. like clan based, you know, yeah, they're clan. It says clan leadership here for government. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Ryloth is feudal meritocracy, which I found kind of interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the, which is, yeah, give me a feudal meritocracy any day. Um, yeah, so uh, we obviously, again, we have the crime syndicates now in full force during this era. Right. We have Crimson Dawn. Uh, we have the, um, we have Huts. Um, we have um, uh, Spice Guys. Or not Spice Guys, <laughs> but... Uh, who are, the, who are the other guys? I don't know. Spi- I like Spice Guys. Though. Spice Guys. No, um, <laughs> Spice Guys. Sorry. Uh, I'm blanking on the Kessel. No. Kessel guys. Yeah, the Kessel people. Uh, Pike. Got the Pike Syndicate. Pike Syndicate. Pikes. There you go. Black Blank Sun. Black right. Sun. Forever yeah. now. White Pikes. Pikes. Forever now known as Spice Guys. Spice um, Guys. The other one, which, is, which was in... Uh, most wanted that the book uh, most yes. wanted, uh, which was a you know a prequel to the movie Solo. Uh, Daniel Jose, was it? Yes. able to confirm yeah. that in a couple minutes as I keep talking. <laughs> um, but they had uh, the Droid Gotra, which I thought droid was just Gotra, yeah, was just fantastic. It was like you know that the droids are the persecuted like species or, you know, entity in the galaxy, the most persecuted, which, I mean, is fascinating for a lot of reasons. But uh, the fact that they have their own syndicate um, is awesome and great for storytelling. It's like you don't want to have any group persecuted against, but um, the fact that it's artificial intelligence and it's like, well, they can't be like, no, we're not flesh and blood, but we're like completely conceptually humans. It's like that's as about as science fiction as Star Wars gets, which um, I really like, where you can really explore that space of being like, what is a person? You know, what is a thing? And 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 over and over again, the droids prove themselves to be just as caring and empathetic as any, you know, biological, you know, organism in the galaxy, which is fun. So, uh, droid fact check time. I was wrong, but I was kind of right. Right. Uh, most Wanted was Ray Carson, who wrote the mm. adaptation of Rise of Skywalker, which... Big props. That's an yeah, amazing yeah. adaptation. Um, but right. 
The reason I'm kind of right is because I got mixed up about Most Wanted and Last Shot, and I was thinking about Last Shot, which is also oh, a yeah. solo story, which was written by Daniel Jose, which also does mention the dro droid Gatra in there, but that's Most Wanted is the one where they're oh, featured. Oh, yeah. cool. And they're yeah. also mentioned in uh, Tarkin. So they're actually mentioned, they're mentioned in the in book Tarkin? Tarkin, which is the first new canon book. So they, oh, wow. they've been there since like Fugino. seven new canon. But I don't think they're I think they're just kind of a throwaway term. And then Ray Carson probably was like, ooh, that's interesting. Let me uh, that's a good let me one. pull that apart. Yeah, that's so funny. I want to reread Tarkin at some point. I loved that book so much. Yeah. Um, maybe now is a good time to talk about economics and just currency real quick, because yeah, it's sure. sort of um, because we know there's such thing as Republic credits at this point. Um, but as you know, the further you get away from the core worlds, um, the more rare it is. There's domestic currency. We know there's like Moncala Flan. Oh, flan. My <laughs> favorite thing in the world. He's like, I'll take the flan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's something great. I saw someone made held flan up the at home. There's like an Etsy shop that's like, you want to buy some flan? <laughs> that's like all I want from the Mandalorian, by the uh, way. Oh, well, Christmas I, oh, is coming. Guys, by the way, I'll be right back. <laughs> hey, we just, okay. hey, Grant's gone. <laughs> well, see you later. Uh, there's also, you know, trades of goods and services. Um, you know, in like when we saw the recent final se uh, season of the Clone Wars, when there's that whole arc with Ahsoka down on level thirteen, thirteen. I mean, they're just like trading. Oh my goodness, someone's got some baby <laughs> Yoda swag. Yeah. But See, I want that flan. I'm, I got Baby Yoda, but I want the flan. I was going to say, that's amazing, but I'm disappointed because I was expecting flan. But continue. <laughs> I was expecting flan, but yeah, he, uh, apparently Grant owns a, like, looks like replica, like, stage, like, like set-ready replica it's of not, the child. It's from Target, people. <laughs> it, looks, it looks amazing. It's life-size the child. Yeah, that's pretty great. With, like, a, yeah, like a vinyl head that looks fantastic. But anyways, I really want currency. Like, I hope at Galaxy's Edge, mm. they'll eventually sell small trinkets and currency and cool stuff. Like, a like a like just a little package of, like, calamari flan would be awesome just to buy yeah. it. Galaxy, I would buy it. Right. Um, that would be great. Yeah, convert some, uh, some U.S. dollars to flan. Um, that would be pretty fun. Um, yeah, so talking I was about just the trade myself. blockades and taxation routes and things like that. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm talking about a common oh, okay. like actual what currency okay. is. And we know yeah. in like the prequel trilogy, um, you know, they can't just straight up buy a new hyperdrive. They have yeah. to like trade for it, even though they have, you know, buckets and buckets of, uh, yeah, of Republic credits. Yeah, Republic credits are no good out here. Yeah, um, something more real. So that's kind of an interesting thing that happens there. But I mean, it's interesting. I see a connection almost to the euro. Right. Like we get the euro now used as this as this yeah. economic piece of economics that unites most countries. Yet in a lot of those countries, there was a long term of like not being used. The other example I know I can think of in terms of the U.S. is remember when we were going to switch over to dollar coins? Remember that when that was going to be a thing, the Sacaga Sacagawea coins, we were going to do dollar. Oh, coins. I remember them making a lot of those yeah coins, yeah but, so yeah. i was i was working in retail at that point and so that's why it's a very like i yes. i know it quite a bit because when you would go to the bank and you would ask for like change you would do change they would just shove the dollar yeah, coins because they yes, wanted to get out of there and yeah. people literally would not take them from me i remember being at a video store and just like being like counting out four dollars and he'd be like 
I don't want that. Give me dollar bills. So I, I could go into a whole thing about that because also we should be changing to dollar coins because it makes so much sense in the world. But moving on, Canada's been doing it for years. Moving on. Um, what was I going to say? But it just reminds me of that thing of, right, like when you, like the economics are literally that much as like there's buy in. You have to have buy in from individuals to be like, we accept this currency here because they cannot, right? We get that with the euro, we got that with the Sacagaweas. Um, and you see that with Republic credits and the outlying systems. Definitely. I, I went to uh, undergraduate uh, college at Ithaca uh, College in New York, and they have Ithaca dollars there. They have they've been those hippies have been trying to make their own currency for years to try and strengthen, you know, a local market, which is sort of fascinating. Hmm. Um, but so there's precedent for it. And there's yep. definitely a lot of that in Star Wars. I mean, and Jawas will just steal your stuff and then sell it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right. Java Java economy. That would be wow. We're deep down the hole where that's where we're going. Um, yeah. So I think we're uh, we're still right in the middle of the empire, though. That's sort of uh, or the the age of rebellion. Um, and yes, we sort of see how that goes. And then, I mean, it, it gets really interesting once. Um, after Return of the Jedi and after the Empire has fallen, right? And after yeah. the, the Battle of Jakku when they've they've actually wiped out the Empire and are starting Mon Mothma um, and uh, Princess Leia, among others, are, are trying to rebuild the, uh, the New Republic. Um, and we don't know a lot about that. Um, no. Most of it's in Aftermath, the uh, Chuck Wendig uh, trilogy um, that we adore. Uh, and, and bloodline as well bloodline, bloodline yeah and bloodline yeah. those are the two two big politics books post uh, return of the jedi post battle of jacku yeah. so um interesting and it looks like mandalorian's gonna jump into it a little more in, in yeah. future seasons so we're a little more but like we don't know a lot we know that as grant mentioned earlier it does seem to be more of uh there there seem to be parties more than there yes. were in the past um which is interesting and I don't know. Uh, kind of connecting to current day, there's a lot of um, in in this in this new era. There's the 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 old guard who were part of the empire are still around, and there are people who, you know, bemoan and miss the empire. Yeah, the right. centrists. You know, yeah, the centrists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The centrists and the populists, I believe, right. are the yeah. two political parties hmm. in after the new yeah. republic's founded. And uh, we know Le uh, Leia speaks for the. She's a advocate and a, a representative of the populist movement. And then we know uh, Casterfell, whatever his name was. He was a, he was a centrist yeah. in Bloodline. It's uh, it's interesting terminology to kind of bring it back to real world again because populism has no specific left or right leaning or or anywhere in terms of the political spectrum. You can have populists on the on the political far right. Our current president is a populist. That is a fact. You can have populism on the left. An example of that in current U.S. politics would be Bernie Sanders considered a populist on that because they speak to they're trying to speak to the people. Right. They're trying to rouse up this. It's it's sometimes connected to trying to co connect to emotions. Right. So it's just it's just interesting from from the storytelling standpoint that you have populism, which is non spectrum against the centrists, which sounds like a very spectrum thing. It's just very, it's a very interesting system that they're kind of suggested in these books. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It, 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 we should probably also mention the extra galactic governments out there, like the, the Chiss Ascendancy mm -hmm. and the, 
the Grisk hegemony. Is what is it? Hegemony? hegemony. Is that what it, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. labeled? Um, pretty interesting. The ascendancy we don't know a lot about. I, actually, we do. We do actually know. We a know lot a about little, that. but we're going to learn a lot more with the new Thrawn trilogy because the new Thrawn trilogy is coming out in book form. I think next month is the first one drop. Maybe in July or August. But that is actually a prequel. It talks about it talks about Thrawn's time in the Chiss ascendancy. So I think we're going to learn a yeah. lot more about that. How the workings of that. Yeah, system. I want to think it's like an electic, elected meritocracy, but I yeah, just sounds, don't know. Right. It sounds like some sort of meritocracy. For I sure. think yeah. I, he talked about it for a moment. He talked about, I think, a couple other. But there's like factions. There's houses, I think. Yeah. I'm almost certain there are houses. But um, and then the hegemony. Um, you guys have the definition for hegemony? Well, it's essentially hegemony is like you you sort of absorb cultures and people. It's like, you're just yeah. part of us now. They take people over and they, it's sort of like we, your culture no longer exists. We are one culture of yeah. this other sort of thing. So it's, again, it's more totalitarian and you just get absorbed and it's uh, more authoritarian. And it's just like, you follow our rules now. And so it is multicultural, but except all those cultures are extinct by force. Um, I, I've only read about it in... Um, Dan Simmons novels in the uh, Hyperion uh, duology, which is actually really poor yeah. books um, within Demion is uh, they have a hegemony um, and it's it it has it can have virtuous ideals where it's like, oh, we're all together. This is like, you know, a globalism sort of affair where you're sort of we're all under one tent. Um, but yeah. it has negative connotations in that if you don't recognize the sovereignty um, you lose culture, which um, is a bad thing. Yeah, I've seen dominance all over the place in these definitions. Uh, hegemony is the political, economic, and military predominance or control of one state over the, over others. Yeah, yeah. So leadership, bad, leadership bad or dominance, guys. especially by one yeah. country or social group. Yeah, Maybe. bad guys essentially. Well, yeah. see, actually, you know, we we talked briefly about the uh, High Republic, but we know that the antagonists there are the Nile, and I mean that has nihilism <laughs> in the yeah. name. So. <laughs> yeah. Which is means they believe in nothing, Lebowski. Uh, but they, uh, but I don't know what um, what exactly that'll be. But I, I would imagine it would be more of a Gemini. Um, yeah, so. I think it, or yeah, barbarian horde to the Republic's Rome, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, you're like whatever, but you're right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah um, so we covered a lot there. of different systems of government in the galaxy. Uh, should we get into like the politics? Do we have time for the politics? Do we want to talk about tyrants? Sheev? <laughs> I would we could talk about Sheev. Let's let's keep it focused on right. Sheev because that's the tyrant we get. Yeah. And def deafening silence. <laughs> no, you had then... you had said something earlier, Adam, where oh, you said I can't wait to get to Sheev. Yeah, I so I, see, here's the thing. All right. Real time talk? I don't know. We'll get to it. <laughs> no, actually, it, it was just too. Yeah, we don't have to. We, we, no, no, no. I'm fine. It's like Sheev is interesting. Like, because we talked about about this last week. About I, you know, I kind of have this uh, thought of Sheev as a person or an entity who you know fakes it until he makes it. But one thing about I'll say about Palpatine and Darcidius is that he had a plan, and the plan was about power and taking power. And when you see a lot of his speeches in the ancillary material. He fully believes in the power of the Sith as a way to not necessarily I don't think he would use it to bring peace, but order. Right. He feels that there's order to it. So, like, I don't agree with this, but it is a it is a view about like, I honestly think he thinks this is the way to create a, a better whatever. He's wrong. A hundred percent wrong. I feel like current political leader, I'll just say Trump, is more 
focused on winning than anything else. And that's what's frustrating about watching all this stuff is I don't think he's making any of these decisions because he thinks it's for the good of the country or it's yeah. good for this. It's because he wants to get reelected because it's a check. It's a check mark. It's a win, right? It's his brand. It helps his brand. Like I have problems with past presidents. In fact, I have problems with most past presidents. Um, but I do, when I look at their, their decision-making as much as I see it flawed, I think a lot of it, comes from a place of thinking they're doing something for the betterment of society, even though they're def definitely and shockingly wrong in a lot of cases. I think that's their thought process. And I feel like that she falls into that category as much as he's wrong and I hate him. I don't think he's just doing it to win necessarily. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I would, bad. I would say, I mean, Trump doesn't see anything further than the tip of his nose um, and only cares about personal power. He I clearly cares nothing for, his even his own voter base, uh, his um, Trump's, you know, record of, of policies don't help anybody at all in, in that class. It's like it only really focuses on him and how he'll be viewed in his country club when he goes there. Um, yeah. Whereas Chief Palpatine is like, I, I really I, he's definitely I think he's also power motivated. I think he's a Sith and, and he wants to be the most powerful Sith of all time. And I think that um, he's leveraging that power and the, the power of the existing um, government structure to gain power for the Sith and like rule over the entire galaxy. Yeah. Um, and but as far as like order, I feel like it's just a carrot he dangles to get other people to bend to his will. Like, yeah. I, I mean, specifically Anakin Skywalker but used it to like as the carrot that he dangled to be like, like, oh, we're going to bring peace and prosperity and order to the galaxy. But it's so like. Really, yeah, I guess to be powerful. My pushback is that I don't think he's bringing peace or prosperity, but if he's able to control every single person in the galaxy, isn't that order <laughs> by definition? I mean, <laughs> I, I'm not saying it's good. It's dictated. I mean, so you think yeah, there was order the in Auschwitz yeah. then? Is that what you're saying? I mean, come, oh, come on now. All right. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. I, I, I mean, Yes, I think do I sort okay, of... yes. Do I think? Oh my. Okay, we're gonna go there. Do I think Hitler was trying to get "quote unquote" order? Yes, but order is not good. I'm not saying that's a okay. okay. Peace, prosperity, prosperity. Good. Thumbs right. up from Adam. Order to me is a is a is just a, a statement that could be good or bad. In fact, I actually believe that order most often falls on the negative side because order doesn't lead to creativity. It doesn't lead to progression. It doesn't right. lead to evolution. So that's my thought. I think, is that you're, I is think you're in line with George Lucas on that, because if you if you look at the 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 creation of the Republic and you see these four sages, these Dwarty philosophers, he's basically saying that like and how they're involved with the Sith and the dark side and their their controversial figures. He's basically saying that all forms of control and government are negative in, yeah. in an aspect in a way. Yeah. Um, no. And I'm going to say one more thing, and I want to make – first of all, I want to make it clear that I'm not – it's like I'm going to start driving around with a Palpatine with right sticker on the back of my car. Right. By oh, no stretch of the imagination. Yeah. However, what I will say – I guess I should have said the first thing and then said the last thing, whatever. But here's the thing. What's interesting to me, and I think they did an interesting thing in the sequel trilogy with this, is that he's still referred to as Palpatine in the sequel trilogy by everyone but Jedi, right? Everyone right. in the Resistance refers to him as Palpatine, which means – Sheev hid for a lot of his thing, his Sith side. Yeah. Right. Which is fascinating, which is very different from Trump because Trump is all about getting the most likes, being the most 
the most popular person on Facebook, and she doesn't do all that. And if you actually at the very beginning of um, of Queen's Peril talks about she using the under the underworld in um, uh, uh, in Coruscant to meet with people because it's a place where he can get business done and no one knows he's getting business done or see him doing it. I just think it's this interesting economy between these two people. So, so Adam, are you insinuating that our president, President Trump, who is a total failure but obsessed with winning, is more harmful, divisive, and sinister than Palpatine? Is that what you're saying right now? No, no. Because uh, uh, I would agree with that. Yeah. I, <laughs> no, 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 I, okay. He's to be too fair, dumb to be as harmful. Right. I would. The, the only one I'm pushing back in all that is harmful because Trump, as of yet, hasn't blown up an entire planet. <laughs> so, so I mean, it's like scale. Working on right? it. It's working. Emotionally I mean, harmful. Well, now psychologically here's the, harmful. Here's the statistician. Well, us, maybe, but <laughs> here's the statistician in me. If we're talking about per capita, then maybe because Trump only rules yes. over yes. <laughs> a few million people, and she rudel, rules over trillions. I'm guessing. Yeah. So per capita, <laughs> there might be more blood on Trump's hands than she palpitates. <laughs> ben. Feel free to cut this all out if this is going too far. No, I love this. We're down the hole in this. Ep- I feel like the, the gates have been opened for this episode, yeah. and um, and we should do it. In fact, I'm about to draw a parallel between uh, Chief Palpatine and the Ku Klux Klan, like, <laughs> and, and like white. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. White yes, do it. Um, yeah, actually, because this is actually how the Klan operates in a lot of ways. It's not that they're outward, and this is this is what Trump's trying to do, but he can't because he's a moron. Is sort of like they don't like oh this like outward racism is like something for other people to do. It's like they pick their spots, yeah. but like they want to integrate in society, have all these this like activism to be uh, insidious. I mean, like literally insidious, which is Darth Sidious's name, um, and sort of happened like the NRA and you know other uh, the the Koch brothers and like just these these other vehicles that are like oh no we're legitimate businesses like you can tell it's sort of there if you watch their actions you can tell that they're racist and have um they do not have the populations and middle class's best interest at heart um but it's they sort of do it on the down low you're never going to see trump with you know holding a swastika but it doesn't matter his entire i mean if you look at his history um his father marched with the kkk was arrested at a, a, a clan rally um there's you you can tell it's there, but they generally try to not do it outwardly and sort of and 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 only show it when they need to. And that's sort of I mean, yep. there's a parallel between Sheev and the Sith. You know, he doesn't really he doesn't really anyone that he's a Sith except for Deception. you know we need to know you know when he's in his hooded meetings with all he, the other I was people. Say, in he's hoods. wearing a hood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's you know they have fake names, right? And there's there's a lot of clan parallels yeah. here. Yeah. And to the point Adam made, and you continued. Uh, in Pablo Hidalgo's book, Propaganda, which I urge you guys to buy. It's my favorite Star Wars book that's been released post, you know, 2014, the acquisition. But um, uh, he goes in depth about Palpatine cloaking his evil intentions and providing a false sense of security with these white-clad stormtroopers, these ornate, you know, Star Destroyer. He's trying to provide security as well as look like the, the good guy. You know what I mean, and that yeah. is that's that's really insidious to what you what you guys are saying. So yeah, it's 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 scary. Like he is, Palpatine is the worst case scenario for any any you know 
group of people. It's well, so why don't we look at the evolution then? Why don't we? Can are you guys ready to go to the first order? Sure. Because oh, I, yeah. this is yeah. this is interesting too. It's we're we're moving you know via timeline here because they're the one that I couldn't really wrap my head around yeah. an exact parallel. I mean, if anything, it's copying the Empire a bit. Um, because I, and we there's so much we don't know about the rise of the First Order. We just know like they gathered their forces and then you know and then suddenly were there and then destroyed the government with one like blast to the you know the capital of the galaxy hosnian prime system and um and then we're there and so i don't really yeah. know they are like we we've we've done parallels to like um mil- malicious for hire like blackwater eric prince's that might uh, be the closest yeah thing but They're it's like, like neo-fascists like yeah, but we don't know their origins very well. And I think that I think that's the issue we're dealing with is that story really hasn't been told and complete it complete yet. But I mean, there are some interesting parallels to now um, in terms of um, actually there's there's parallels to like literally today. Have you guys been like reading about the Boogaloo? Yeah, yeah. Stuff right now. Like yeah, I mean, I saw that one that, article on them. Yeah. That stuff's fascinating. And I know I don't I haven't read up on it, so I don't wanna I don't wanna go too far down the rabbit hole with that, but like it's interesting, like this this simmering underneath of like people joining together, wearing uniform, coming out in the into these situations and 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 armed and doing these things. It's obviously more organized in the first order, but there's this this idea of like it, to me, they're almost just the rebellion in reverse. The the rebellion to the rebellion. The first order is 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 huh. that is 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 the rise of neo fascism. Yeah, right. I think you nailed it, Grant. Do you want to talk more about neo fascism? Because no, I do, mean this is they, yeah, this is the worst case scenario of neo fascists. You know, getting equipment and and getting not just equipment, but the top of the you know state of the art equipment and using it to destroy a central government. Like that is horrifying and they what's interesting what's crazy is the films it happens so quickly in the films you don't really register kind of the evil intent like it's hard to those planet destruction moments in star wars have never felt like planet destruction moments and it's like i'm still waiting for that feeling like the the most we ever get from a planet destroyed is effective that's yeah, actually that's a good one well not you know what i mean yeah it doesn't get (laughs) emotionally entirely Yeah, yeah 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 Um, Um, I mean, I think I think part of what we're struggling with here is that, to be frank, in the sequel trilogy, the government side of it is there because it's always part of Star Wars. But it is less focused on as it was in things like the prequel and even the original trilogy. Right. So, yeah, it felt like a conscious decision because bringing someone in there decided that there was too much politics and trade and you know, this this stuff that we love in the prequel trilogy. And so they're like, let's try and get away from that a little bit in the sequel trilogy. It it felt like a conscious effort. Yeah. Um, but I I don't know. It, it's you sort of I, I wanted more of a baseline there. Um, I, I am. I now recall an interview with Chris Terrio um, about this. And he did exactly. He's like, imagine if, you know, all the, the Nazis that fled to like Argentina and South America and, you know, Brazil, actually like regrouped with a new militia tried to you know again you know actually built up a a, enough of a a military force to try and take over like a a nazi resurgence more than a neo-fascist regime yeah yeah or or the the re-rise of or or the the not the rise of but the the continuation and now frankly out in the open white supremacy like yeah yeah. (laughs) 
like, I'm not trying to be like dramatic here, but it feels like we're in the middle of what we don't understand what was happening at the beginning of 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 the sequel trilogy. Like this this is where the first order comes from if we don't stamp it out. Right. No, there's a lot of truth to that, too. Somehow, you know, once they get normalized and, you know, authorized and they're, you know, they take. Yeah. And we've talked about the parallels with them taking children and, you know, and indoctrinating them, which is, you know, what the Nazis did, um, you know, the Nazi youth. Um, And uh, yeah, there's a lot of that. So it's sort of I mean, the first order really feels like space Nazis, too. Yeah. 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 And the resistance has a different flavor than the rebellion. Uh, It's it's like protesters, honestly. It's it's like the people rising together. It doesn't feel like a ad hoc military organization as much as it feels like ragtag people. Like, I don't know. The resistance just feels right. More ragtag in a way. I love it. I love that. I I loved the whole premise of it. Really. I thought it was really genius, but um, they were able to kind of hold that through the entirety of the sequel trilogy, which I appreciated to, to, I think too, it's like, I I love the the culmination of that in rise of Skywalker. Yeah. And this is where they got it. Actually. I feel like maybe it wasn't overt enough for some people's taste, but what they were aiming for was exactly that. It's like you had this small core of people that really believed of heroes that were trying to steer an entire galaxy in the right direction. And they're reaching out and, and they aren't getting the help they need until they're able to find that key moment, you know, where there's a leveraged moment where they really have phrases on their heels and it's enough to awaken the, the population um, to, to rise up and, uh, yeah. and, and, yeah. and take action. Can I make another parallel? Which yeah. actually, to me, one of my one of the things I actually really like about Rise of Skywalker is that, and people really, some people pushed up against it was that this time they are able to rally a fleet, and I and I like the fact at the end of Last Jedi they don't because literally twenty four hours ago the neo Nazis destroyed the government. Yeah, they have demonstrated their ultimate power. Right. right. That is not the time when you get an uprising. That's a time when people are cowering in fear. Right. Honestly, right. understandably. Yeah. Yes. But a year later, two years later, yeah, that's what happens. Revolutions are also in waves, just like we see now. It takes things to get people to come up. It it dips down, it comes back up. It's not this, it's not it's the 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 long arc of justice, you know, progresses the right direction, but it is not a straight line. Right. Yeah. That's such an important point. I really, really, yeah, uh, see that now. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, the last, the last Jedi in that moment, it only takes. It's like five minutes after the last film wrapped. Like it's, yeah. it's right after the attack on Hosnian Prime. It's yeah. of course yeah. people would be, in, you know, why would they come? They've destroyed hiding. planets. Yeah. Why you right. can't beat that? You can't fight that. Yeah, and there's a very important message there at the end of Rise of Skywalker, which is that there's more of us, and that you know there's. Ultimately, there are more well-wishing people and there are, you know, negative people and, and, and fascists and more people that understand um, that how they want to live and how to live a good life. And um, and that's what wins the day. Um, and so, hey, so there's always hope. Yeah. Infinite hope. Indeed. Um, and with that, I think um, we'll put a cap on this pillar. Um, I hope this does serve to sort of, you know, if. if you were to look at all these things, there's a lot to choose from if you were going to make another, you know, Star Wars film, movie, animated series, book, comic, you know, whatever the like is. Um, and there's a lot of room to expand. I think 
you know, in, in summation, there's a lot of these sort of monarchies, right, that we've seen um, that are. Shoot, yeah, right. And I mean, but I mean, yeah, who would, I would love to see more about a meritocracy. You know, I want to see a theocracy yeah. like that's not a religion is not really one of our pillars because we sort of lumped it under, you know, the the Jedi. The force. Yeah. yeah. And the force, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, but uh, there are there are other fascinating religions in the galaxy. Um, the oh, the cult like of the central isopter. Yes, yeah, exactly. Well done. Yeah, that, which is like Great. my favorite, my favorite religion in um in in the expanded universe. They're in a lot of Afra stuff. They just they wear awesome costumes and go and watch doomsday events uh, yeah. together, which sounds great with like a bag of popcorn and a coke. Yeah. Um. And uh, they yeah they're also in um in Rogue One. You get to see them there in live action in the yellow hoods, um and body suits. Uh. But uh. Anyways. Um. Yeah, there's a lot of room to do some new and exciting things in there. I think, you know, if you're a director, grab that atlas that um, Grant has and start, you know, combing through there. And there's there's a lot of good diversity of of governmental systems and political yeah. systems and economic systems that um, that can be delved into there. So not so limiting, uh, limiting but um, this being primarily a sci-fi series, you can really play around with a lot of fun yeah. things there. All we want is diversity in storytellers and diversity in storytelling. Yeah. Diversity of stories. Well said. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, great job, guys. And um, thanks very much uh, for listening to this podcast. We have, This was super long. Um, but I appreciate you for listening. We, um, we really love doing this. Um, I hope you provided a little bit of escapism and levity to an otherwise very serious week. So... Thank you all again, and may the force be with you. I want to thank every single one of you for coming out. This is very important. This is very vital. Black lives have always mattered. We have always been important. We have always meant something. We have always succeeded regardless. And now is the time. I ain't waiting. I ain't waiting. I have been born in this country. I'm 28 years old, born and raised in London. And for time, every black person understands and realizes the first time you are reminded that you are black. You remember, every black person in here remembers when another person reminded you that you were black. So none of you out there, all those protesters on the other side, protesting against what we want to do, protesting against what we want to try and achieve. Burn you, because this is so vital. Of our support for Stephen Lawrence. Yeah.
for Mark Duggan. Yeah. It is very, very important that we keep control in this moment and we make this as peaceful as possible. Exactly. We make this as peaceful and as organized as possible. Because you know what, guys? They want us to mess up. They want us to be disorganized. But not today. Not today. Not today. Not today. This message is specifically for black men. Black men. Black men. Black men, we need to take care of black women. We need to take care of them. They are our hearts. They are our future. We cannot demonize our own. Amen. We are the pillars of the family. Yes. Yes. Imagine this, a nation that is set up with individual families that are thriving, that are healthy, that communicate, that raise their children in love, have a better rate of becoming better human beings. That's it. And that's what we need to create. Facts. Black men, it starts with you. Hey, it's done, man. We can't be trashed no more. We have to be better. Do you not understand? I'm speaking to you from my heart. Look, I don't know if I'm gonna have a career after this. Fuck. This today is about innocent people who were halfway through their process. We don't know what George Floyd could have achieved. We don't know what Sandra Blank could have achieved. But today, we're going to make sure that that won't be an alien thought to our young ones. I'm sure you lot came today and you left your kids. And when you see your kids, they're aimlessly playing. They don't understand what's going on. Today is the day that we remind them that we are dedicated. And this is a lifelong dedication. Facts. Guys, we don't leave here and stop, you know. We don't leave here and stop. This is longevity. Some of you are artists. Some of you are bankers, some of you are lawyers, some of you own shop stores. You are important. Your individual power, your individual right is very, very important. We can all join together to make this a better world. We can all join together to make this special. We can all join together, 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 together.